Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. You are listening to About Progress. This is episode 217, Help, I Want to Change My Spouse, with Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife. Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I am here to guide you toward living the life you want. Each week, you'll hear interviews and teachings on how to balance self-development with self-acceptance. Listen in and join our community that knows life is about progress, not perfection. I think I've grown a little fond of starting these episodes by admitting something terrible about myself, but let's do it again, why don't we? I'm going to tell you the truth about how I am in regards to my spouse. Now I am super, super lucky because my husband Brad is so non-judgmental of me. He fully accepts me, the good and the bad, and there's plenty of both. I, on the other hand, am naturally a reformer and an achiever. I like to change. I like to grow. And because of my natural inclinations to do that, I'm also geared to do that towards the people who matter most to me. I don't even know how fully aware Brad was of this. Maybe he is more so now since I'm sharing it right here, but I have been more naturally inclined not to judge him, but internally want to change him, to improve him, to make things better for him and for us. And, you know, almost 12 years in, I have learned that this is not a great way to be happily wed. Today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And as a professional psychotherapist and a coach for women and couples, she knows what it's like 
to coach people who want to change their spouse. I'm sure you've heard of that saying where a woman gets married because she wants to change her husband and a man gets married because he wants his wife to stay the same. It's not going to work either way. Today, Jennifer is going to talk us through what to do when we have these feelings and thoughts about wanting our spouse to change, how to instead work more on ourselves, but still have that fine balance of knowing when you need to have boundaries in place and step up and ask for things to be different than they are if they're not uh, blessing the family in the way that you want them to. Again, this is such a fine balance and I can think of no one better than Jennifer to teach us on this topic. I have quite a few other interviews that I've recorded with Jennifer. She is definitely our most downloaded guest and you can find links to those in the show notes as well. Before we get to the interview, I have two announcements. This is the month we are celebrating our third year anniversary. I am so excited about it. And one of the things that I thought would be fun to do and different is to send a care package to the amazing people who leave reviews and ratings for this show. Now I can't do it for every single person, but I am going to do it every week. I will select from all the ratings and reviews left on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and send you a wonderful care package, including a canvas bag with a work in progress graphic on it, a beautiful book from my friend Kim. Mill Andros, who's been on the show, and this one is a children's book about Eliza Hamilton and a few other surprise goodies. All you need to do is hop onto Apple Podcasts or iTunes, find my show, leave me a five-star rating and a review. And at the end of the month, what I'm going to do is select an additional winner from the entire month's submissions for another care package. So even if you don't win the week that you leave it, there's another opportunity. These podcast ratings and reviews help me and the show way more than I can express. Thank you so much. If you or someone you know wanted to start a podcast or to grow the one they have, I have an incredible resource for you. Both Rachel Nielsen and I have joined together under Podcast U, our online school for podcasters, and we've created two free e-courses. They are six weeks long, and twice a week you will be hearing from both of us on how to start your podcast or how to grow your podcast. You get to choose which e-course. Again, this is totally free, and our goal is to give you a leg up on figuring this out for yourself without signing up for one of our really intensive courses. The doors are closed for that anyway on Podcast U, and so this is also a way to say, hey, you may not be able to join a course right now, but here's our free or e-courses. You can find that by going to the link I have for you in my show notes. And by the way, you can always find the show notes within your app or by going to aboutprogress.com, click on podcast and latest episode, and you'll see the one that you are listening to right now. I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I am a sexuality and relationship therapist and coach uh, practicing out of Illinois. And I do a lot of online coaching as well as teaching of um, sexuality and relationship courses, um, particularly to LDS couples and individuals. Great. And so many of our community are also Jennifer fans, like big time. So when I said I was going to talk about relationships, I got pummeled with messages asking you to be on. And you have been here so many times. I'm so grateful that you would do it again. But today we're going to talk about something we've never talked about before. Um, and it's the spouse relationship. So we are going to get a little niche here and talk about a spouse. Um, I know that might not apply to everyone, but in this case, it's important because we're talking about this tendency we have to just want to change our spouses. Sure. So why do we have this tendency? Let's start with that. 
Well, there's so many reasons. So the first reason that comes to mind is just that we are very able to track the limitations of our spouse and other people for that matter, much better than we're able to track our own limitations. So we can see the way that they have fallibility or, or they're selfish or whatever, and that it impacts us negatively and can be blind to our own role in that problem or that challenge. I think a second reason is that, you know, we want what we want. We're all, for many of us, the idea of love is that you're going to meet somebody who comes in and reinforces you and tells you how wonderful you are and loves you the way you want to be loved, when you want to be loved, and lays off when you want them to lay off. <laughs> yes. And so a lot of us have that idea that that would be the ideal partner and that's what would make us happy. And so when our spouse isn't doing those things, we're not as concerned with whether or not we're fulfilling their every need and whether or not we're loving them the way they want to be loved. We're, we're very concerned with how they aren't giving us what we want. And, um, and so it's very, you know, we're just narcissistic in the sense of, I don't mean in a personality disorder way, that's just to say that we're very aware of our own neediness and our own concerns. And so trying to get other people to give us what we want is a natural, easy focus for us. I mean, you hear this all the time when everyone, um, you hear someone talk about they met the love of their life and they make, you hear them say, they make me so happy. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. you get to a certain point where that's not going to be possible anymore if you're hinging um, your happiness off of someone's uh, choices that they make and who they are and their weaknesses. Yes. Oh, so let's just talk about that a little bit. The sure. wrong idea. Well, it's a, exactly. It's a wrong idea and it's a very tempting idea because when you do fall in love, you it's the, so much of what we're in love with is the reflection of ourselves that we see in our beloved's eyes, you know, that they admire and desire us and it's so intoxicating and it feels so good. And, and you're like, finally, somebody who sees how great I am, <laughs> somebody who gets it. And, yeah. uh, and you just want to lock that in, you know, you're just hoping you just can lock that in and you're going to be different than the couples out there that resent each other because, you know, you found this really special person and there's nothing wrong with that stage because it does feel so good. And there is something to it. There is a kind of appreciation that you're able to have for one another that's legitimate and, and, and wonderful. But I think if we stay hinged or hooked into the idea that this person will make me happy, it's designed to fail. Okay. Because you you know, you, first of all, people can't make you happy. People can bless your lives. People can bring their strengths uh, to a relationship and make it richer and better. So it doesn't mean that our partners that don't impact us and we impact them. But the issue of your own happiness is, is fully your own responsibility in terms of how you conduct your life, whether or not you live up to your own higher values, whether or not you have a basic self-respect through the way you engage in the world. And that isn't controllable by someone else, which is not to say that they don't impact you. They do. But ultimately, the issue of your own happiness and peace with yourself primarily resides within oneself. And I, I think when we get that mixed up, we really disorient ourselves and make ourselves less able to solve the challenges that we encounter in our lives and in our relationships. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I'm making a connection here to, I think the second interview we did together, you talked about the positions we put ourselves in within relationships, a one up or a one down position. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm recognizing that this is a way we put ourselves in the one up position mm-hmm. is by criticizing, yes. even if it's just internal, even if it's Absolutely. just these like rampant frustrations we have that we might not express externally, but it's a way for us to still prop ourselves above, which seems yes. to be human nature but nonetheless not helpful in the marriage. So what can we do? Yeah. So it's exactly, it's an entitled position. And it's also paradoxically in a certain way, a one down position at the same time, because in another sense, we feel entitled to be loved, but in another way we are creating a dependency. You know, you owe me a life. You need to make me happy. What is your problem? And so in some sense you're saying you're impaired, but I'm hooking my life to you. Okay. Well, that's, problematic to do. And it's one up and one down at the same time. And I talk to my clients a lot about being victim perpetrators. That is that they occupy the one down victim position. You're making me miserable and I'm dependent on you. And therefore I have a right to be in a critical superior position. And it's very, very tempting. We all do it on some level and it's easy to justify. So many of us will use our victimhood to justify our aggression. Ooh. Well, so we're just really smart then. Yes, we are conniving. (laughs) How smart we are. But now I'm sure many of us listening are thinking, okay, I am now seeing myself in this Mm -hmm. true light. What can I do now? Like, how do I navigate my relationships? How do I criticize less? How can Mm -hmm. I still work on improving who we are as a couple or separately? What do I even do now? Because it's such an ingrained behavior. It's twisting everything up. Right. And I think the the issue is not going blind to your spouse's limitations because that's not going to help you. Sometimes people give the advice of you should just focus on the positive and you should just be grateful. And there's value in that clearly because often when we're in our critical minds, all we see is the negative. We, we don't see the good. But I think a better way of thinking about it than that is you want to increase your intelligence in the relationship. You don't want to be just fixated on the reality of your spouse's limitations and seeing them in a vacuum. Hmm. And the way to do that is you want to see more wisely, and this is often how a therapist or a coach can be helpful, is that you are seeing yourself as a participant in a stable, even if miserable, system. And what is that system? What are my spouse's limitations? But very importantly, what are my own? What's the garbage I do? Okay, if he were complaining in his head or her head, depending on who's listening, what what would be their list of grievances about me? Hmm. And then another question you can ask is, how do the things they dislike about me, how do they use those or how do they use my limitations is maybe another way of saying it to justify their own limitations or to make the indulgence of that limitation easy. So you have to be willing to disrupt long-standing patterns, how you view yourself, how you view your spouse. And what I'm hearing you say is maybe the, the place to start is to look at what you're bringing to the table. That's right. And how you're part of a system between your spouse and now, especially when you have a spouse who you think takes advantage Right, this can feel a little bit tricky because if you're the one who takes advantage, well, it's kind of easy to make 
piece in some sense, you stop taking advantage. I don't know if it's easy because it doesn't necessarily mean the other person starts to take on more responsibility for their lives, but you, it, it's a little bit easier if you're in this sort of one up entitled position, because as soon as you confront that, you're going to create something better, right? It's a little trickier when you feel like your spouse won't confront things, won't deal with what they need to deal with, and you're taking on too much responsibility. That can feel harder because how do you realign it? How do you make somebody grow up? And you can't. <laughs> you can't make somebody take responsibility. You can't make somebody confront themselves. You can't make somebody grow up. But you can stop filling in all the gaps. You can stop, you know, just resentfully doing what's partly their responsibility. You can stop reassuring them, you know, or you can start taking a, a, a clearer position around what the problem is, how you've played a role, how you're no longer going to play that role, and then you shift it. And whenever you're really standing up for something to be different, you will be uncomfortable, right? Like I had a client who always complained that his wife just wasn't vivacious and, 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 and sexually kind of alive and that there wasn't any spontaneity. And so he would complain about this a lot, you know, but then and it was an individual therapy. And the, but then I'd asked him, well, how are you coming home? What are you doing? Well, in reality, what he was doing is coming home resentfully, you know, would go seclude himself in a room and resent that his wife wasn't more spontaneous. Well, okay, well, it's easy to want the other person to be better, but to not yourself stick your neck out and for you to create the kind of, you know, increase the possibility that this could be possible for her to offer it. But how do you, are you spontaneous with somebody who's resentful and thinks too little too late all the time? And that's yeah. what he was doing. So it's easy to use our sense of victimhood to reinforce the status quo within ourselves rather than really stretching ourselves and growing ourselves up in a way that makes something better possible. That's one thing I've learned from you is how, um, you know, we've talked about how amazing we are at uh, diluting ourselves into these uh, positions. But we're also really good at tracking when someone else is doing that to us. And it must not feel good to be on the receiving end of criticism. And we have, even if it's not expressed verbally, right, we can track these. That's what I've learned from you. And we have ways of, you know, lashing out in other ways Absolutely. that might not be external. So I like yes. seeing this as a cycle, an assistant, like you said. Yes. Um, and owning our position for it is helpful, but yes. hard. Exactly. And I think if you're really trying to change something, I think something that helps is when you acknowledge, when you confront yourself in front of your spouse and say, I see this as what we do. I see this as my role. Okay. It, it, it certainly disarms the other person, at least somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I would say anytime you're really pushing somebody into a different position, even if it's by your own growth, don't expect it to be smooth sailing and easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to stretch you and them and, and sort of pressure your whole, the issue of your marriage even. Mm -hmm. All right. So we, we've, we've kind of talked a little bit about how to, how to realize that you, you play a position into this, but you just referenced stretching yourself first. Mm -hmm. how, how does that still help a marriage if instead of working on a unit. Maybe that's not possible right now. Maybe it's not two people to the table who are both wanting to work and own their positions. Mm -hmm. How can uh, one member of a marriage 
work on themselves and still benefit the whole. Yeah, well, you know, you stay on topic, you stay on point. Um, you keep dealing with, if you think there is a system functioning and you've played a role, uh, when you start to deal with your half, if the other person doesn't want to self-confront, it's going to really pressure both of you. And what's easy to do is to say, I'm feeling too pressured. It's easier to just step back and resent the other person. Lots of people do this, especially without a therapist or a coach, because you get confused when you sort of step up into a better way, you're getting stronger, and the other person's just getting upset. It's easy to step back into the old position because at least there's some equilibrium there. But if you start to wake up to, I'm conceding to too much, I am resentfully accommodating too much, um, I keep, you know, you stay on point and you, you stay in the, in the conflict that will necessarily emerge. And I don't mean it's all combative arguing necessarily, but the disequilibrium that will emerge. And you, you keep dealing with your issue. For example, I have a client who would just bring up issues, husband wouldn't accept it. And then she would just resentfully go back to her dissatisfaction, but became less and less interested in sex, less and less in love with him, more distance, even if it was amicable, even if it was polite. And, you know, she grew up in her family learning you shouldn't have conflict. And so she would just kind of go along, but create a a deeper barrier between them. And Mm -hmm. he didn't like the barrier. He didn't like the sense of distance, but he also didn't want to deal with what she would say occasionally. So what actually helped them really go forward differently is that she started to realize I can't step back. I get anxious and I step back. And if I keep doing that, I'm stabilizing exactly what keeps me unhappy. And so I have to learn to go not combatively and aggressively, shouldn't have to be cruel, but I have to go into the thick of this and I have to stay in it. And I have to deal with my own developmental challenge of taking myself seriously enough to stay on topic around what needs to be addressed if we're really going to have an intimate marriage, if we're really going to have a better sex life, if we're really going to have what we both profess to want. And so, you know, she just, her anxiety was high. He started pushing back in ways he never had before, in ways she didn't even anticipate that he could or would because he's also a conflict avoidant person. And she stayed on topic. And eventually he got pushed up against either I have to grow up and face myself or I will never be at peace in this marriage. And she's not backing down. Even though I've tried 117 ways to get her to back down, she's not doing it. And this is what happens in so many of my marriages. You know, he started to self-confront, started to face himself, started to own his role and to and they both came out stronger for it and started to create a more passionate honest marriage when you say stay on topic are you meaning you know what is the problem in the marriage like maybe there is not true intimacy like a real i don't know how about you explain what that means for people who are well i think what it means if there's an issue that's dogging the marriage or it's making you less interested in sex or makes you resent your spouse you don't want then to stay on point is to basically say, this is the issue. This is your role. This is my role. And we have to deal with it. And I'm not going to go back into my old position. Yeah. 
And so it's it, the way to destabilize, especially if you're somebody who overfunctions, you take on more than your responsibility and you kind of compensate for where the other person isn't. That's the person usually that has to speak up and has to stay on point because in some sense it's working, even though they may not be happy, it's working for the person who's underfunctioning. Yeah. They don't have to grow up or take more responsibility for themselves or the impact of their choices. So it's, it's important to like, I think it's just important to know what it is you need to deal with in yourself, what the marriage needs to deal with. And you persist. It's a kind of persistence that requires courage because it's always uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Growth is uncomfortable. And often every cell in our body wants us to retreat and resent because it's easier on the front side, but it's very costly on the backside. And so you have to be willing to go into it and persevere. So the difference we're seeing here is persistence versus criticism. You know, criticism is not productive. It's not helpful. It's not moving things forward. That's right. Persistence is acknowledgement of both sides but yes. still the unwillingness to keep up yes. with the status quo. That's right. It, exactly. It's what's the, what is the goal in what mm-hmm. I'm saying? What is the, am I saying this? And a lot of people criticize and they, their goal, if they're honest with themselves, is to, is to take the spouse down a notch or to stick it to them or to humiliate them in some way because you're angry. It's very, very easy to do these kinds of things, whether or not we admit them to ourselves, because we can also do them in subtle ways and passive aggressive ways. But is the goal of bringing up the issue to humiliate the person on some level, or is it to actually create something better? And that's a very, very, very important question to ask yourself honestly, hmm. because you know it's easy to take out your anger about something on another person. It's harder to tolerate talking about hard things that destabilize both of you and stay on it long enough that you can solve it. Mm. So there's this fine balance, right, of working on yourself and your side while also persisting to work on the this topic, yes. like you said, within a marriage. And that balance between accepting that someone can't make you happy, but yes. they are still a part of your life and you can't That's be right. blind to how they're affecting that's right. You and your household. Okay. That's right. And I have two, two thoughts that follow from that. One is that when you do work on yourself and who you are in a relationship, you are impacting the relationship. You can't really get away from that. You do, your limitations impact the relationship, whether or not it's acknowledged between you that they do. So working on yourself in an honest way will, make the, will impact the relationship and will pressure it to be a better relationship which is not the same thing as saying it unequivocally will be. The second thought, which just lost, left me, was the last thing you just said, Monica. Um, the, what did I say? Balance between moving. Oh, yes. I remember what it was. The second thought is that you can't make somebody love you. You can't make somebody self-confront. You can't make someone choose you or to deal with their limitations. And so this doesn't mean you have no choices though, because you know, oftentimes I see clients when, one, when, there's, when there's a misalignment around how much one is willing to self-confront, which honestly there often is, 
Uh, often the one who suffered more is more willing to self-confront, is more willing to kind of do the hard work than the person who's enjoyed, in a sense, the self-denial of their position. Mm -hmm. But you still are a chooser and an actor in that marriage. And part of it is defining the terms of your participation. And so sometimes this issue of your own development and challenging the way you have created a marriage will push the question of the marriage right up against the brink. And we don't like to think of that. We like to think of growth as comfortable and yeah, <laughs> little by little and people get happier and happier. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not my experience of how seismic change happens. Not that, you know, you kind of need a little earthquake. <laughs> yes. Uh, for really important change to happen. And when couples come in very stressed because something has erupted or something is no longer in the position it was, it feels very tumultuous and uncomfortable. But often that's when people are really most able to create something qualitatively different. And if you have a partner who's you are unhappy with but is comfortable enough in their miserable state or in, their, in the status quo, uh, you often have to push the issue of whether or not you, this is something you will continue to participate in if they don't grow themselves up also. Mm-hmm. And it's not an, it's not an ultimatum for ultimatum's sake. It's not about manipulation. Yeah. It's really about defining yourself and what you're willing to really do if the other person won't grow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why we need you because I could never express any of this because there's so there's just such a, there's just such a fine balance to all of this. The last thing I want to ask you about, and you know, speaking of this balance piece, is what I'm recognizing a big part of being willing to increase our intelligence within our marriage mm-hmm. while also working on ourselves um, is allowing room for weakness both in our, in our spouse and mm-hmm. also to be seen as weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's some level of that is good. Sure. To own that. Right. Absolutely. So Limitations I would guess it is. And so I, let me see if I can remember this. I was listening to a Malcolm Gladwell podcast a few weeks ago and he was quoting maybe father Keenan at Boston college. I think I, I may be remembering the wrong person who said this, but he said something like, sin is, is not the same thing as trying but weak. Sin is to the failure to try or the failure to bother to love, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, in marriage, we have a lot of respect for knowing in ourselves and in another person that we are pointed in the right direction. We're trying to create something better. We're willing to face something, but we're still weak. That is to say, we are early in our development or we are reaching towards it. There's a great deal of tolerance in marriage when you know your spouse is self-confronting, is dealing with something, and they haven't, they're not yet there, but it's a, there is an honesty in it and an earnestness in it. And we can tolerate this in ourselves too when we know we're not um, indulging ourselves. And being blind, we can feel respect and tolerate that we are in development. I think what's much less tolerable and necessarily so in marriage is when we use the idea that we're trying, when in fact we're coddling our limitations and we're not actually pushing ourselves. Yeah. And so I think that's an important distinction to make in a marriage is 
is how honest is it? How much integrity is there in it? Because as human beings, we will always be fallible. We'll always be in an in a imperfect state, if that's even the right way to say it. We're always in development. But the issue of what we're pointing towards and how much integrity is in it really does matter a great deal within ourselves and within our partnerships. Hmm. Yeah, there's no better note to end on than that. Jennifer, I know you're going to have some big things coming out um, in December and January. How about you tell us about that? Because sure. people need to hear more in person where they can um, and um, online. I know you have some great. offerings too. Yes. So um, I will be doing a sale, a holiday sale on my online courses starting, I think Thanksgiving day is usually when we start it. And um, basically it's 20% off of all the online courses. And if you buy more than one course, you get a deeper percentage off. And these are courses on, it's the Art of Desire, which is a women's sexuality and self-development course. And then two couples courses um, on uh, one strengthening your relationship and the other on enhancing sexual intimacy. And these are courses that speak to a lot of the principles I'm talking about today around who you are and how you, what, what you need to see in yourself to develop. And then I have one on how to talk to your kids about sex. And so those will all be on. So fantastic. Yeah. I think I have bought three out of those that you just said. Yeah. So, and then I will also be doing two live art of desire workshops at the end of January. The, the 23rd and 24th, I believe it is, is going to be in Southern California, Orange County area. And then another workshop, um, I think it's the 30th and 31st of January, will be in Chandler, Arizona. So um, those are just really great experiences if you're able to get to them. They're two days and they're immersive and you they're, they're challenging, mm-hmm. but really, um, but just really good courses for helping you look at how you've come to understand who you are as a woman and your relationship to your own desires, your development as a person and your sexuality by extension. Hmm. Well, Jennifer, it's such an honor to have you back on again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it for having me. I am so glad you listened to get the hug and kick in the pants you needed to grow. Let's take your learning to the next level print off this month's progress plan that is free by going to my website aboutprogress.com slash free. Also join our free and private Facebook group called A Work in Progress via the link in my show notes, which you can also find on my website aboutprogress.com. And best of all, be heard on this show. Be featured on the last episode of each month that is called Dear Progressor, where our listeners really, really shine. To learn how to do this, go to aboutprogress.com slash be on the show. You do have something of great value to share with this community, and we all need to hear you. Thank you so much for being here. And remember, life is about progress, not perfection. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.